Welcome to Bloombox Growing Deeper. I'm Sarah. I'm Hannah. And we're on a mission to help you become the gardener you want to be. Welcome to Pollinator Week. June is so busy. <laughs> June is so fun. June is very busy here for us, but it's also just, it's a busy in the garden. It's busy in the world. I think this week that it's coming, this episode's coming out, is the only week in June where I'm in the office. I think you're right. We So we're taking some big trips in June. We yeah. travel for Wildflower Week, and then we're taking Bloombox to the American Public Gardens Association. On the road. On the road at their national conference, so that's going to be super exciting for us. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll, be, we'll be in Portland. Yeah. It'll be a good time. We're very excited. And you all will be hot. <laughs> we won't be. We'll be in the cool Pacific Northwest. Enjoying, I think Sarah's most excited about the tea. I'm very excited about the tea. <laughs> they have good beer too, though, so it's, it's kind of a toss-up, but there's a Japanese tea garden there that I am so excited for. The last time I was in Portland, I got a coffee at a double-decker bus that was what? been turned into a coffee shop maybe we can go that would be so cool and i just thought to myself i don't think i've seen anything more portland than this this is <laughs> a parking lot filled with abandoned like buses and cars that have been turned into little shops that's a cool idea i would mm-hmm. love to see that we do have one night that is dinner on your own in the city and i'm like wow i don't know if one night covers that but no we'll do our best we will okay back to pollinator yeah week. we don't need to talk about portland no. We'll talk about it when we get back. We'll tell you all about it. Um, So Pollinator Week, it's National Pollinator Week, not just Nebraska Pollinator Week. And it was um, initiated by the Pollinator Partnership, which is somebody I've used for quite a bit of information that I've used in Bloombox. They have some great information on pollinator and plant partnerships that we use to put the little insect partner on your plant cards. And just all sorts of uh, research and education on conserving pollinators at the you know national level or the backyard level. So check them out. Um, they their mission is to promote the health of pollinators that are critical to food and ecosystems through conservation, education, and research. National Pollinator Week is June twentieth through twenty sixth this year. I think that. It's generally the third week of June. Perfect. Yes. Excuse the construction noise if you can hear it. I know. I was wondering if that's a problem. I'm not I sure. I think it's actually um, weed whacking. Oh, even better. Is what better. it sounds like to me. But we're better off than our Forest Service colleagues whose building is getting construction on right now. Yes. <laughs> it's not going well. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so Pollinator Week is, the goal is to raise awareness of our native pollinators and what we can do to protect them as humans. Yes, there's a lot we can do. And it's, it, honestly, there's more that we can just not do. Um, it's not always about going out and doing something new. Sometimes it's just about not doing something that you've always done without thinking about it. I love it when I can help something by not doing things. Instead of spraying all my spring weeds, I can sit on my porch and read a book. Uh-huh. Instead of raking in the fall. I could sit on my porch and read a book. Exactly. I like to sit on my porch and read a book. It's one of my favorites. Um, so, why pollinators? 
Well, you know, pollinators are important for a majority of our plants. They, uh, 75 to 95% of our flowering plants need some kind of help with pollination. So you have to have something to do that. Now, this brings to me our conversation that we had. I'm already going to, <laughs> off the rails here. We were talking um, during spring affair week. We oh, were yes. moving plants around and we were in the greenhouse. And I brought up how whenever you watch a sci-fi, some type of sci-fi show or read a book, um, they're always going around with a little paintbrush and pollinating the plants because they don't have the insects to do it. And what an oversight in the sci-fi genre to not include insects. That's not our only complaint about (laughs) sci-fi greenhouses, but it's a big one. We have insects who's who are designed by living their daily life to pollinate our plants why would we want to do it with a paintbrush i've done it with a paintbrush it's a lot of work yeah i don't want to so they these um pollinators transport pollen and there's other mechanisms that can do that like wind water things like that but pollinators are very efficient and plants are made for that type of transfer. Let's back up to oh, sorry. what pollination is. Oh, yeah, that's we a might have one. already lost some people. So, um, just like any organism reproducing, we've got male and female flowers. Sometimes we have male and female inside the same flower. Sometimes they're in separate flowers on the same plant. And then sometimes we have species of plants where the male and female flowers are on totally separate plants. That mostly happens with trees. Uh, when you hear about trees that need a pollinizer to get fruit, that's what they're talking about. So somehow the pollen comes from the male flower and it needs to get to the female flower. Some plants have adapted to let wind do that. Grass and corn are a great example. They throw their pollen out there um, on the tassels of the corn or grass flowers are very open. They don't have petals that hide the pollen away. So they're letting the wind blow the pollen around your eastern red cedar yes that (laughs) kicks all of our allergies up so if you have pollen allergies you are allergic to things that are wind pollinated um i can tell you all about that in a different episode if you want i'm allergic to almost everything (laughs) that could affect me in the garden um but our insect pollinated plants generally we're not allergic to those at least in an average pollen allergy, you could be allergic in other ways. But, you know, insect pollinated plants, that pollen is heavier and it requires being stuck to an insect's body and carried to another plant. So it's not light enough for the wind to pick it up. So therefore, it's not blowing into your nose. Um, You do not have a pollen allergy to goldenrod. It's an insect pollinated plant. And there's a few other ways. There's mechanical release Um, mechanisms that some plants have where they shoot their pollen out. Um, More of that happens with seeds. (laughs) Should I cut that out? Nope. Leave it in. More more often that happens with seeds, but there are some mechanical pollination plants. There's some that rely on just animals brushing up against them. Mm -hmm. Those are very general plants. You can be a pollinator if you walk through the garden and brush up against, with your clothes, brush up against a plant and then brush up against another plant. With or without a paintbrush, you can be a pollinator. That's true. You can be a (laughs) pollinator with a paintbrush too if you have a lot of extra time on your hands. Or you're a plant breeder. That's usually where you find the paintbrushes. You know, it's, it's very important 
um, both for, you know, biodiversity in our ecosystems that we have pollinators, but also for us as humans, one in three bites of food we take is reliant on a pollinator. I bet it's more if you're vegetarian. I bet it's a lot more <laughs> if you're vegetarian. That's very true. Although um, alfalfa requires a pollinator. And if you want beef, you, you want alfalfa. You want alfalfa. That's mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. And that one in three bites of food, that comes out to around $4 billion in the U.S. Um, ag. That's billion with a B. Yes. I don't know if I said that clearly. $4 billion in U.S. ag production that relies on pollinators. So we're not just saving the bees for our own, you know, hobby. We're saving the bees for the sake of all of you. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so what are some crops that require that require pollination? So some of the ones people are most familiar with is apples, apricots, um, avocados, blueberries. The one you all are most likely to grow in your backyard is a tomato. Of course. Um, but then there's also, some, we already touched on alfalfa. So without alfalfa, we wouldn't have beef. We wouldn't have dairy products. Um, we wouldn't have horses, you know, um, without agave, we would have no tequila. Uh, agave is an insect pollinated plant. I'm out on tequila, but I do enjoy some gin every so often Ooh. and there's so many botanicals in gin that i'm sure need pollinated i'm not as <laughs> i'm not as knowledgeable on gin so and let us not forget about two very important plants that need pollinators chocolate yes. and coffee and vanilla <laughs> and vanilla oh vanilla mm-hmm. vanilla is mm. actually a very particular one vanilla is an orchid and it has one specific pollinator oh so do you know um, what pollinates chocolate? I don't. Do you know? Bats. Cool. Yes, that's a bat one because they sip the nectar. So then they, they pollinate. So if you like chocolate, you can't be bad mouthing bats. I do love bats. I think they're adorable. I don't know if it's the same bat. You know, our bats in the Midwest are kind of small and cute and fuzzy. Yeah. I'm guessing that these are not the tiny, cute, fuzzy ones. I I would I, like to see some at some point, though, those giant bats yeah. that are like six foot wingspan. I like to see them in the zoo. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just want to see one out in the wild. I think yeah. that'd be so cool. <laughs> so, you know, you don't have to be an insect to be a pollinator, but we're going to focus on our insect pollinators um, because they're, you know, they're the ones that need our help the most right now. They're the most common in the Midwest, and they're the ones that we can most easily, you know, do our best to help in our own backyards. So let's start with, we're going to start with bees, because there's a really well-known bee that is, in fact, not a native pollinator. Honeybees. Honeybees are not native to the U.S. Um, They're native to Europe. I love honey as much as the next person, maybe more. That doesn't make honeybees native pollinators. Uh, in fact, I think it, in a lot of circles, they're considered livestock. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's why they're really human curated they a are. lot of the times. And they're valuable. They are very like, valuable. Like as, any livestock. Yes. Um, and it's, they're especially valuable to us for their honey production. But um, they're not native. And so they don't have the n- relationship with a lot of our native plants. 
And in fact, they don't even have that much of a relationship with a lot of our food crop plants. We keep them for their honey. So tomatoes are pollinated by bees, but they have to be pollinated by bumblebees because they only release their pollen when, you know, the insect is vibrating at a certain um, wavelength. Is that the right term? So Mm -hmm. bumblebees cause the plant to release its pollen for them. A honeybee does not buzz at the right frequency frequency that's sort of yes mm-hmm. a honeybee does not vibrate at the right frequency to cause the plant to release its pollen that's amazing said so no bumblebees no tomatoes even if you've got honeybees i love tomatoes good summer caprese salad mm-hmm. <laughs> um i do think that we do use honeybees to pollinate almonds we do yes and that's a great dual dual purpose Mm -hmm. because they can go visit the almond fields during pollination time and then they come back a lot of times they come back to the sand hills because we have great food for them um, that creates good honey so the pollen that the honeybees are feeding off of does affect their honey and so Mm -hmm. there's prime places to raise honeybees depending on the kind of honey you want and our nebraska sand hills are a very popular place to keep bees and we'll go more into bees another episode. Yes. We'll do all about bees. We had a talk before we started about not getting sucked too deep into any one pollinator. It's going to be hard for us. We kind of love them all. <laughs> but let's talk about who some of our native bees are. Yes. So we've got bumblebees. Yes. Pretty easily recognized. They're pretty hairy, right? They're pretty fuzzy. <laughs> I will admit that I will pet a bumblebee on occasion. Why not? Why not? They're fuzzy and they're adorable. The other day I saw that. Because we're recording this in early spring. And I saw that a bumblebee got trapped in one of my um, tulips when it closed up for the night. (laughs) Poor little guy, he froze. And then when it opened back up the next day, I was like, oh no, little bumblebee. And I tried to wake him up and he He was gone. gone. You know, sometimes they'll sleep there. They'll sleep on flowers. That's Uh, the most adorable thing I've ever heard. Pretty much. Have you seen the tulip with the little field mouse curled up in it? Oh, that's so cute. (laughs) I was laying in my grass the other day. It's pre-chigger season, so I got to get my grass laying Mm -hmm. in. I was laying under my crabapple tree watching the bumblebees buzz around in it. It was the most fantastically spring scene I could have concocted. Yeah. And for those of you outside of the Midwest, chiggers are these little itty bitty bugs that bite you and it hurts and it's itchy. And they they live in the grass. Infest our grass. They do. I know there's a few listeners outside of the Midwest and I didn't realize that chiggers weren't universal until I traveled one time and somebody was like, I have all these bites. What are they from? And I was like, oh, you have chiggers. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, even Western Nebraska doesn't have them. All right. And my husband's from out West and he came to school for the first time and was very excited by all the green grass and sat down and oh, all no. of his friends were like, oh, what are you doing? Because <laughs> he had not experienced chiggers. You need a blanket. They have some other nasty things out there that bite, but yeah. they don't have chiggers. Okay. So we've got bumblebees. Sometimes they're solitary. They live completely on their own. Sometimes they nest um, in aggregate groups where they have individual nests next to each other and some are social where they nest together um but none none of our native bees are quite as social as honeybees where they create large large hives that overwinter the whole hive a lot of our bumblebees overwinter only their queen uh, which is sad for the male bumblebees but so it's a god save the queen (laughs) situation (laughs) 
Uh, we've also got like nesting bees, stem nesting bees, mason bees, leaf cutter bees, bee flies. We're, we've got mm-hmm. a lot. We're going to link up to some bee identification links because we can't just cover them all right here. So many bees and most of them are good and beneficial and barely any of them sting. Really, um, even if they have the capacity to, I have, I've never encountered a sting from a native bee. I get asked that all the time. How do you garden around the bees? They don't care. I mean, I don't know. I never thought about it. I just garden around the bees as long as they have food to eat and I'm not actively taking it from them and I'm not actively taking it from them. I have never had an issue. Yeah. I think I've been stung like three times in my life and none of it was gardening. Yeah. Um, honeybees are more likely to sting, but still, I mean, if you make it your life policy not to go around swatting at bees and squishing them, you'll get stung a lot less. How did Pooh Bear never get stung? He did. He was just stuffed with fluff. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Shall we talk about butterflies? Oh, I love butterflies. Butterflies are another favorite pollinator. And I think it can, besides bees, butterflies are ones that can get a lot of people interested in pollinators and gardening for pollinators. And they're very easily recognized Mm -hmm. and a Mm -hmm. lot of times very easily identified. Yes. I have met one person who's scared of butterflies. I'm sure they're out there. Yeah, I could see that. I think it's a things that fly all encompassing fear. But mm-hmm. I was surprised by that cuz we think of bumble or of butterflies as being these gentle, floaty mm-hmm. things that just, you know, exist prettily in the garden, but you can be scared of anything. You can. You have the right to be scared of whatever you want to be scared <laughs> of. Um so I know that, you know, probably the, the butterfly that most people know about and are following and everything like that is the monarch, right? Mm-hmm. We have the monarch watch. You can tag monarchs and watch them migrate both north and south whenever they do that. And that's a pretty amazing thing to watch. But let us not forget about all the other butterflies that are around. Yeah. Sometimes I do, I mean, I do love a monarch mm-hmm. butterfly, but sometimes I get a little frustrated at the publicity they get yeah. um, compared to what they, the purpose they actually serve in our landscape. Um, they come through here pretty briefly, mm-hmm. and it's not that they don't help. They do, but they're one species, and so let's not forget the other ones, especially the ones like swallowtails that live their whole life cycle here. They feed our birds. They pollinate um, they spend all their life with us. And they're gorgeous. They're huge. These things are like the size of people's hands. Mm-hmm. There's the yellow swallowtail and mm-hmm. the blue swallowtail. Black? Is there a black? Zebra. Zebra. Mm-hmm. Zebras are rare. Zebra swallowtails. Okay. If you see one of those, you're special. I didn't think I'd ever... I don't think I've ever seen one. I've seen a lot of yellows. I'm fairly positive that the pawpaw is one of the main larval hosts for zebra swallowtail. And the papa is one of our native fruit trees, so mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Fritillaries and skippers, those are probably the most common butterflies. These are the little tiny yellow and white and brown ones that you all have chased when you were kids right. with your butterfly nets. You, sometimes they're also called like sulfur mm-hmm. butterflies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they do, they do a lion's share of work. They do. For how small they are, they are a hardworking pollinator. And then butterflies lead us pretty easily into moss. Yeah, so when the butterflies 
tuck themselves in for the night. The moths come on out yes. and they just take over from there. Pollinating is a 24-hour process. It just keeps happening. It is. So moths are not just nighttime butterflies. That's what how we think about yes, them a lot. Sorry, I shouldn't have said It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> they tend to be nocturnal. They, there are a few daytime moths. Diurnal. I was losing that word. Okay, there are a few diurnal moths. But most are nocturnal or remind me, what's the ones that come out at dusk? Crepuscular. Okay. I'm not going to try that word. Crepuscular is dawn and dusk. Dawn and dusk. Okay. That's like my bunny. Rabbits, deer are crepuscular. Okay. And they are different. Moths tend to be fuzzier. They have a fuzzy Mm -hmm. body. They have really fuzzy, fluffy antenna. So they look a little bit different. They aren't, they're usually duller colors because they're out at night. But if you notice a moth in a light, they're very reflective and cool looking. Um, They pollinate, some flowers are night blooming. Mm -hmm. um, But then some flowers, they, that don't, you know, you all recognize the flowers that close their flowers at night and open morning glories are probably the most like obvious one. Some flowers... Their flowers are always open, but they push different pollens at different times of right. day to attract or probably their nectar, nectar changes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so butterflies and moths are primarily visiting the flowers to drink their nectar. Mm-hmm. They pick up pollen by accident, where bees pick up pollen on purpose to take to their hives, and they distribute it on accident. Um, even they do drink some nectar, but mm-hmm. they are purposely picking up pollen. Butterflies and moths accidentally pick up pollen. Right. My favorite example of this is the catalpa. The catalpa tree oh, yeah. does change its nectar day to night to attract different pollinators. And there's a catalpa moth. There is. Mm-hmm. I've just planted a catalpa last year, and mm-hmm. I'm really hoping. I know I'm hoping a little too hard, but it'd be really cool if it bloomed this year. Yeah. Um, and then there's the sphinx moth, which is just cool. Um, so there's a sphinx moth and a hummingbird moth. They can get confused a little bit. But they almost look, I mean, both of them look a lot like a hummingbird. Mm-hmm. And they, they can buzz their wings like a bee so they can hover in the air. That's different than, you know, a lot of moths or butterflies that land on a flower. Right. Okay. We're going to leave the pretty ones. on. Some beetles are pretty. Some beetles are pretty. Some beetles are really cool. Iridescent. They're really neat. And the longhorn beetles with their, you know, rhinoceros horns mm-hmm. are really cool. Mm-hmm. Beetles are super important pollinators, especially, you know, of prairie plants. Um, they don't get as much attention. And people, I found people tend to think that they're eating their plants. Uh, I mean, they Some are. are. In a way, but they're also performing important pollination. Like our um, longhorn beetles are specialists of goldenrods. So our goldenrods are relying on them to pollinate. Um, Soldier beetles are super common. They're not as pretty. Can you cover real quick specialists and generalists? Yeah. So some of our pollinators are specialists, meaning they only want pollen from a specific plant. So like Um, these black beetles, um, they only want pollen from goldenrod. Pollen or nectar? Their beetles are usually after the pollen. pollen. Mm -hmm. Okay. Some, you know, butterflies, same thing, but nectar. They will only want it from one plant. Um, and some will take pollen or nectar from any plant. And then 
The same can be true with the larval stage too. So monarchs are a great example of this. Everybody knows that monarch caterpillars like milkweed. Monarch caterpillars are specialists of milkweed. They will only eat milkweed plants. But the adult monarch is a generalist. It will take nectar from many flowers. Mm-hmm. So it's not, um, they're not locked in for life. Some are specialists or generalists at different stages. And um, we often pay particular attention to the specialists when we plant because we know that they rely on that one particular plant to continue existing, like the catalpa moth. Mm-hmm. Um, and by planting for the specialist a lot of times, then we end up planting for the generalist right. because they'll eat a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah. So longhorn beetles are goldenrod yes. specialists. Okay. Um, one of my favorite beetles especially in the summer fireflies yeah yes they pollinate they do and some people are surprised to realize that they're beetles also crepuscular okay makes sense (laughs) they do tend to go to bed Mm -hmm. um and fireflies are interesting because the females are actually the pollinators the males um i don't know that they don't eat pollen i don't think their life cycles are very long as an adult um, I think they spend most of their life as a larva, but they're too busy finding the they're ladies. They're too busy flying around. They're too busy flying around lighting up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the female fireflies are really important pollinators. I still think a lot of beetles are pretty cool. I have a harder time enjoying ants. <laughs> well, and peonies and ants. Oh, let's break it down. <laughs> okay, don't bring your mom peonies to put inside. She won't be happy with you. I mean, I do like to to display some peonies. Just like give them a little shake or something. Okay, I don't know. Can you shake them out? <laughs> I put them. I like to cut peonies, but I would keep them on my like patio table. Mm. You're brave. Let's take well, right let me be completely honest with you. <laughs> I don't have any peonies, oh, so okay. I buy them. Oh, so they're probably pre-shook, pre-shook <laughs> peonies. <laughs> Instead of mine, which are the shake and bake variety that you have to shake yourself. <laughs> Just give them to Silas. True. Get all <laughs> they, the ants. They won't be very pretty when he's done. Yeah. Um, so ants do pollinate. The ant and peony relationship is apparently up for debate. For a long time, we've always thought that they have such a stronger relationship because the ants pollinate the peonies. But... Um, studies are now showing i don't know who is putting this much effort into studying peonies and ants but apparently studies are showing that the pollination effort might be negligible they Mm. might be eating more than they're spreading it's not a good relationship you should never take more than you get (laughs) but ants are pretty industrious so i can see how it happened Mm -hmm. but ants there are flowers that ants pollinate they're not the most efficient pollinators well, yeah, because they're slick. Yeah. I guess they do have some little they hairs. Have some, I was thinking of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah. The ant that they write, it does have some hairs, but uh-huh. they're really sparse. And right. if you think about like a bumblebee or butterflies, they're so hairy, mm-hmm. they pick up pollen really easily. And ants, um, they're mostly picking up the pollen to feed their babies. And ants are so efficient, I can't imagine they lose very much. Oh, well, yeah, they just take it right back. Yeah. I don't think they're going from... From plant to plant. No, I like think they bees. pick their food up and go. Mm-hmm. So that's a, actually up for debate. But for a long time, we believed that ants were an important 
pollinator of peonies. Me too. I also pick my food up and go. <laughs> I don't stick around. <laughs> I'm more like a butterfly. I yeah. pick my food up and then I get distracted. Yeah. Hannah had to come and remind me to finish eating so yeah. we could, you know, get on board with recording this podcast. Uh, flies. Man, I know flies are important, but they're hard to love. So hard to love. Ugh. I will say the flies that are most likely to annoy us aren't typically our big pollinators. Right. They're there for the other bad stuff. I, mean, yeah. I shouldn't say bad, but just stuff that isn't as fun. So the poop eating, we'll yeah, just those. say it. The poop eating <laughs> flies aren't usually who we're looking to for pollination. Um, although there are some like in the rainforest, there's the carrion plant that purposely mm-hmm. smells like dead meat to trick carrion flies into pollinating it. I'm not planting that in my backyard, so we'll move we'll move on to the cooler flies. And there are some. There's bee flies. They're fl- they are flies, but they look they mimic bees. And they do that so that people think they can sting. Mm-hmm. So they do it for their protection. But they are important pollinators. We've got cirphid flies that can hover like a bee. That's a fancy word. Searfid? Yes. All right. I um, like it. A lot of people just say hoverflies. Okay. But everywhere I found, they list them as searfid or hoverflies. So I mm-hmm. thought I should say they're apparently proper name. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so flies are different from bees because they have one set of wings. Mm-hmm. Bees have four wings and hind wings. Going front back to our back. Ento 101. Yes. The only Ento I took. Same. Okay. <laughs> we'll put that class to work. That's right. <laughs> um so, so even, you know, when we've got, we say we've got bee flies and they look like bees, but we know they're flies. That's how come we know they're flies. Because uh, they only have one set of wings. But there's some cool looking flies. There's like the green iridescent flies. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not all icky ones that follow your dog in. <laughs> Most of them that I see are. <laughs> but that's okay. Fair. That's you do good. have a dog. What about sweat bees? Are those um, bees or flies? I believe they are actually bees. Okay. Um, and they are important pollinators. There's a couple plants that specifically rely on sweat bees. They are a bee that I have a hard time loving. They are the only bee that's ever bit me. Yeah. I will admit that. Um, I have not ever been stung by a bee. Um, How do you know you got bit and not stung? Well. Is that different? Yes. Well, sweat bees bite. With their little proboscis thing? I don't know how they bite. They're really tiny. We're gonna, we'll look it up. We're going to look this up. Yeah. We'll look that up and put it in the show notes. Everybody always says a sweat bee bite. So I just assumed. All right. We'll do some research. Though. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, stinging would be with their stinger on their rear end. Right. Yeah. Um, I knew that. I figured yeah. that when people said bit, they just meant stung. They, yeah. We're going to do some real life. Okay. Hannah's Googling to find this out. I'll keep talking. Okay. So Fill, fill the time. Scale. Yeah. Sweat bees have always been a tough one for me because I have been bit by them. I don't enjoy it. But I know they're super important, and honestly, I don't get bit by them that often. And it's a pretty short-term problem. It goes away pretty quickly. So I let them exist, and I leave them alone. I might swat them away from me. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so sweat bees, um, they are important pollinators. And they there's a difference between stinging and biting. Okay. No, I haven't gotten to that part of the article. But they do live alone. They're a solitary bee. Okay. Underground nests. Um, so so that's important. Hold on. We'll have to cut some of this out. I have a very cool video of a, 
a, a bee digging its way out of my herb garden last spring that I will put in the show notes because it's really cool. So bees can like, they will nest in the ground and dig their way out. And it's really cool because it's really, it's not what you expect to see in your garden. Okay. So sweat bees, according to this article that I found, they sting. Okay. And um, so whether you say bite or sting is, is a sting. It's a sting. And only the females can sting. Okay. Good to know. And once the stinger pierces your skin, it continues to pump venom until you pull it out. So Uh, make sure and get the stinger out. But they're very tiny on a sweat bee. Very tiny. So you have to get it out and and then, of course, you apply eyes, Mm -hmm. da-da-da-da-da. I usually just pinch it a couple times and go back to garden. (laughs) (laughs) See your doctor, all that good stuff. So um, they are attracted to sweat. It it makes sense. They're looking for the salt, likely. Mm Mm-hmm. I know, yeah. So vibrations around the ground is what stimulates that. So I don't know how to avoid that in gardening. You're just gonna have well, to well stop stirring up your ground. Sure. Uh, you know that's a great way to prevent weed problems to disturb the ground in your garden as little as possible. Mm-hmm. It's also great for the pollinators. Mm-hmm. Um, avoid the sweat bees. Yes. So I am planning to find someone, I don't know exactly who this expert would be, to talk to us about, um, you know, there are people who are actually, you know, deeply allergic to bee stings or wasp bites. We haven't got to wasps yet. But I'm planning to look for one of these experts to come talk to us about gardening around pollinators and uh, maybe how to know if you have an allergy that is, you know, more concerning than just the ouch of the bite. Um, because, you know, that's not true for most of, that's not true for most of us. Um, you know, if a bee stings me, it's going to be an ouch. Um, Mm -hmm. I won't like it, but I don't need to go to the hospital and I don't need an EpiPen, but there are people who do. And so, you know, I get asked that a lot. And for anyone who's not allergic, I just continue gardening as normal. Um, as long as I'm not swatting at things and I'm fairly aware of my surroundings, which you should always be outside, I've never had a problem. I've been injured by machinery and be getting poked in the eye way more frequently than I've been stung. I garden. typically injure myself <laughs> yeah. more often than I could ever be stung by a bee. Uh-huh. Yeah. So wasps. Yes, Let's move I on suppose to them. they are pollinators. Wasps are incredibly important pollinators. To be clear, they're annoying. They're so <laughs> they can be annoying. The mud daubers that make the nests over your garage door. As far as I understand, you know, I don't know if I really care if they're a pollinator. I'm not going to advocate that anybody keep those. Yeah. Um, but those black shiny wasps, mm-hmm. really important pollinators. Um. I've also never had trouble with one pursuing me unless I'm smashing up its nest, which, yeah. you know, I will do that to the the mud nest ones just because they don't seem to care if you're causing them problems right. or not. They're going to sting you. That's a delicate situation getting rid of those. It is. <laughs> um, my dad's preferred method is a tennis racket in the garage, and ah. we all stand at the window and watch because it's <laughs> highly amusing. <laughs> Oh, no. Poor Sarah's dad. <laughs> He's very good at it. I don't That's know good. that he really gets stung that much. Right. But it is, a, it is a delicate situation because in the end, your safety does matter. Yes. Uh, and the safety of your children playing outside does matter. Mm-hmm. But the majority of the wasps we find in the garden, um, same as the bees. They're after their food. 
And unless you purposely cause them a problem or take their food from them somehow, um, I have never had one bother me other than those, those mud ones. Um, but again, I would really love to have somebody who's more of an expert on, you know, wasp and bee safety talk mm-hmm. to this because it's a little unfair that I haven't been stung and I'm telling you all that it's not a problem. <laughs> oh, I have been stung. It's not gardening. My dog did chase a bee and got stung trying to eat it. Well, and I mean, I would sting him too if he was trying to eat me. Right, right. And his nose swelled up. <laughs> I have to give him some Benadryl. He was fine, but it was a little funny looking for a while. I bet so. The only wasp that's ever stung me, I stepped on. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I can't blame it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would bite somebody too if they, I stepped on. I don't know. I shouldn't yes. say that. I don't go around biting people. <laughs> I promise. For, for a while now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I am interested to talk to somebody or, you know, if any of you have some expertise in that area. But generally speaking, my advice to people is always just to be aware of your surroundings and treat any wildlife with the same respect. If you wouldn't grab and hug a raccoon, don't grab and hug a bee. <laughs> Elf style. <laughs> Remember that from that movie? Yes. You need a hug. Nope. 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 Does not need a hug. Mm-hmm. Um, let it go about its business and you go by yours. Right. So, did I miss any? Those are broad categories. I'm aware. Those are broad, yeah. And like you said, we focused on insects because... There's a lot of other right. things that pollinate. As I do we love a hummingbird. A hummingbird, a bat. I'm sure there are other mammals. Um, yeah, there are. Mm-hmm. So. I'm thinking of something with a little pink nose, but clearly my animal ID is not good. Like a possum? No, I don't. Po- <laughs> possums eat ticks. Possums are great. They do. Yeah, yeah. No, All right. Well, I don't know. We'll skip the animals. Sarah does not know her animals. I know animals. I can help with that. Okay later but i think we've covered some good general categories we'll Mm -hmm. link some id sites there's some really great ones like bumblebee atlas and uh butterfly id by state links that we can we can add so you can go looking um this time of year i always like to um promote iNaturalist Mm -hmm. is a great way you can get it on an app or you can use on your web browser is a great way to log Um, your observations and real scientists do use that data so it's a great way to participate in pollinator research yeah if you're looking for something for your school age kids to do this summer that can be a really great and and fun thing to do Mm -hmm. because it's go outside look around what do you see and log it it's a great way to include technology in outdoor time if that's a hard sell for your kids yes (laughs) um you know there's uses for technology outside and if you can't separate the kid from the smartphone take the smartphone outside and i bet they follow yeah exactly (laughs) uh but really you know we do need more pollinator research from the midwest we've got a lot coming out of the eastern united states and there's a ton coming out of europe but um there are real scientists relying on on your observations through iNaturalist to track populations and track species and you can even track what flowers you see the species on so we can start to learn more about what to plant so it's a really important way to be involved in citizen science research and we'll link that up too so 
as a little teaser at the end, you know, we, we talk all about how to help pollinators, but let's just go over the, the big topics real quick. So there's a few reasons why some of our pollinators are at risk. And the main reason really is habitat loss, right? So some things that you can do to help is provide more habitat, which mm-hmm. is what we do with Bloombox and a lot of our plantings with the Nebraska Statewide Arboretum. Yeah, and and food as part of habitat always gets, you know, the highlight because that's the pretty flowers. That's the part us humans are enjoying too. But food is only one part of habitat. So think about everything you need to live, not your TV. The insects don't need a TV. But you need food, you need shelter, you need water, you need space to take up. And the same is true of our pollinators. Yes. So try to provide as many of those things as you can. Um, knowing that water can be a little more challenging for some, but it's also an insect, so it doesn't need a whole pond. Right. I buried all, if I have a good picture by the time we post this, because it needs cleaned out right now. I have a terracotta saucer from a giant plant that I buried in my garden, and I put a bunch of rocks in it. And so if I ever water or it rains, um, it gets splashed with water, and that's really all they need. They need the pores on the rocks will hold little bits of water that is the perfect size for a, a little butterfly or a bee to get a drink from. Because they can't necessarily drink out of a big deep puddle. They're tiny. Um, and so in the heat of the summer, that's the hardest. And I don't water my garden a lot. Purposefully, I plant it to not need water. But I'll throw the end of my water bottle on it when I'm going inside. Um, just little easy ways to make sure there's a splash of water around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in Nebraska, we do have 18 species that are identified as pollinators at risk. We won't cover all of them, but some things to keep in mind are like the regal fritillary, that little butterfly mm-hmm. that you see all about, and the odo skipper. It's another little butterfly. Yeah, and the American bumblebee. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people know that that one's at risk. Um, yeah. So nesting sites. Oh, yep. Mm-hmm. That's probably the one that scares people the most. It sounds complicated. But it's the easiest. It is. <laughs> you just stop doing things to your garden. Just sit. If you like to clean up in the fall, you can cut back hollow stemmed plants like penstemon and coneflowers. You can cut them back to like 18 inches and then just leave that stem until it falls over. Once once again, I'm all about advice that says leave it. Yes, leave it alone. (laughs) (laughs) The bee knows what to do with it. You just need to leave it there. I don't have to work. Sounds great. (laughs) Not going to hear me argue. Right. But leave it up because a lot of people want to come back in the spring and then take those stems out. But spring is when bees are laying their eggs. So leave those stems. Eventually, they'll decompose and fall over. I promise. They won't be there forever. Otherwise, we'd all be covered in stems all the time, everywhere, if they never went away. (laughs) (laughs) I was expecting you to say leave the leaves. (laughs) That works too. No. That's like, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Annihilation where they all like start turning into flowers. Oh, that sounds wonderful. No, it's a super weird, (laughs) scary movie. (laughs) So as soon as I said stems everywhere, I was like, oh, like that movie. (laughs) Anyways, it's an alien type movie. I didn't like it. It was Valentine's Day. (laughs) I don't know why we even saw that as Natalie Portman in it. Anyways. It seems pleasant. It was not. Okay, I don't know. I'll take your word for that and avoid it. Yeah. 
other important nesting is to leave the leaves. So when your leaves fall in the fall, leave them. Just wherever they fall. Just don't do anything. I mean, you might, you need, you need to clean them up in your grass a little oh, bit when fine. they get thick. But under your tree, just leave them. I mm-hmm. leave them. Mm-hmm. It's great. They blow away eventually. But there's a lot of things nesting in those leaves. Not just insects, um, but little little tiny mammals. And you can ignore the neighbors. Yeah. Their opinions don't matter. It does not. They do a little bit, but take the opportunity to do some education. By putting a sign from the Nebraska Statewide Arboretum that says, Leave the Leaves for Wildlife for sale now at Plant Nebraska. Nope. Arboretumplants.org. <laughs> <laughs> we have that. You put it right in your yard. Yes. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why we send out signs with Bloombox, because some of the things we're going to do in our garden are a little different than the things our neighbors are doing. Right. And rather than just having, you know, the HOA knock on your door, we would rather have a conversation with people about why we're doing things a little different. Put up signs at our project sites, too. Yes. Let people know. I'm not at all rubbing in the fact that because we don't mow our yard every four days, our yard's already green. And our neighbor who over mows is, like, frantically watering, trying to figure out why his yard is still brown. (laughs) Poor guy. Uh, So another way to not do anything but also help the pollinators is uh, ground nesting bees need a little bit of bare spots. So in the spring when your mulch, you know, is thinned out, maybe this is the year to not add more mulch. You know, you don't want no mulch in the garden. But if there's just a bare spot here or there, maybe it's a good bee nesting site. Once again, works for me. Yeah, you don't have to do anything. I actually, that's not a problem for me because my dog does create bare spots. (laughs) I bet, I bet that's very, it's very helpful. He's just trying to create pollinator habitat. A support He's supporting pollinators. Yes. That's the goal. And along the lines of doing nothing, let's slow down our pesticide use. Yes. Um, It's the do nothing episode. It is. There's a surprising amount of questions I get about what can I spray on my plant? The caterpillars are eating it. That's a good thing. But they they bought a bloom box and they want a garden for pollinators. And but somehow, no caterpillars. to me, that means I missed the spot in education. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but those caterpillars are your pollinators. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to be eating it. There is a point in your vegetable garden where you might need to pick some pests off your vegetable plants. That's only if the birds don't find them first. True. Because a lot of caterpillars are great bird food. Um, and so, you know, rather than spraying a pesticide... My preference would be to have a more full circle habitat so they have birds coming in and eating a few caterpillars so they don't get overrun by them. And if you need to, you can do some hand picking. Yes, I did have to pick some cabbage loopers off my Brussels sprouts early on this year because the plants were just too little to handle Mm -hmm. any feeding on them and they weren't outside yet for the birds to find. Right. Uh, But... Most pes- so you don't just, you do have birds. You didn't just let your birds try to find oh, them? Oh, uh, I don't think parakeets are great for pest control. Foraging. They're pretty lazy. They like to have their food brought to them. Oh, me too. <laughs> I think we better wrap this episode up. We're getting crazy. All right. Is okay. that everything about pollinators? I think that's everything. If you want to learn more about National Pollinator Week, pollinator dot org singular pollinator dot org that is with the, an o 
pollinator. Yes. Sometimes people think it's with an E-R uh, instead of O-R. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. pollinator.org. Mm-hmm. I will link it up anyway. Yeah. But um, that is the Pollinator Partnerships website, and they have way more information than us. And they have information specific to your region. We're talking pretty Nebraska Central. Mm. Um, so if you're, you know, in a different area of, I believe they only cover the U.S., uh, but if you're in a different region, they will have plants and pollinators specific to your area that you can learn about. And as always, you can send us your questions, and we would love to have you rate and review us on your podcast listening platform. Please do. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Bloombox and Bloombox Growing Deeper are programs of the Nebraska Statewide Arboretum. <laughs>